Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hi, everyone. Today I'm talking with Sil Tang, author of Disrobed, a book about where the world is going through the lens of our wearables. Before we get started, here's the inside scoop on the author. Sil Tang has been a futurist for over 25 years with an eye towards world events such as natural disasters, geopolitical clashes, and economic cycles. In addition to her book Disrobed, she has written hundreds of articles on the confluence of world events and soft goods for print outlets such as the Financial Times, predicting and documenting occurrences such as the Trump election, the Apple Watch and other smart wearables, lab-made diamonds, and the effects of global warming on the South Seas. As CEO and founder of HipGuide, Inc., her work has helped more than 50 companies and governments. In addition to helping them navigate the future, she is behind the launches of some of the most well-known beauty, beverage, automotive, and urban development efforts, including revitalizing Detroit and product category changers such as frozen alcohol and mineral makeup. In 1999, she created the first mobile lifestyle texting product in the market and predicted mobile couponing as it exists today. Her company HipGuide is a case study taught in universities around the world from Dubai to Nova Scotia to Purdue through a textbook series with McGraw-Hill. Her book Disrobed can be found at over 1,000 libraries, including Harvard, Oxford, Yale, and the New York Public Library, as well as at all major bookstores, including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Waterstones, and Blackwell's. You can learn more about Sil Tang and connect with her at linktree-hipguide. Well, hi, Sil. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Thank you so much. I'm super happy to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk with you about your book, Disrobed. Um, Before we get started in that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I am a futurist and have been for more than 20 years, maybe 25 years. (laughs) And so futurism is actually a old industry. It's been around for many, many decades, probably nearly a century. But I think a lot of people are only recently hearing about it because it is a job that mainly consults to companies and governments at the highest levels on the inside. And so it's not a consumer facing role. And a lot of people have not heard of it. But basically, I help companies and governments figure out where the world is going and how it's going to affect them. Oh, wow. So what is Disrobed about? Tell us a little bit about the book and then kind of what inspired you to write it. So Disrobed specifically is a snapshot of one piece of what I do. When I think about futurism and how to explain it to other people, you often want to make things that are accessible. So Disrobed happens to take one thing, which is clothing, and attach clothing to all the things that are happening in our world and help people have an understanding of where the world is going and how to make better sense of what's coming next. Mm. And it came about because I was writing a lot for the Financial Times. And when you write for a newspaper, often you get 800 to 1,000 words, but you don't get more. And many topics deserve what's called long-form writing, you know, uh, 5,000 words, 10,000 words, you often don't have space for that. So I wanted to delve into a lot of topics a bit further. Yeah, yeah. I, before we talked, I had the opportunity to listen to the audio version of Disrobed. And wow, 
first of all, I love the audio delivery. The narrator did a fantastic job. And then I was surprised by so many aspects of the book. And so I'm eager to talk to you about that, about a few of those things anyway. But before we get into that, I wanted to let our listeners know that Disrobed participated in our most recent literary awards program, the 2022 Reader Views Reviewer's Choice Awards. And Disrobed took home the gold medal in our classics category for societal issues. So first of all, congratulations on your award. Thank you so much. I was so excited. I'm so excited that it has perennial interest. I think we call it evergreen interest because it's come out a while ago now. And it's still selling and people are still interested and there's still talks happening around it. I'm giving another one in May at the new school. And it's for, you know, a book that's been out a while. I think that it's still capturing new eyes. Well, yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, all the issues that you talk about, they're still relevant today. Now, when I think of societal issues, you know, my brain kind of just goes to issues like poverty and climate change and civil rights and, you know, the big ones. So what does clothing have to do with society and societal issues? Well, it really does in so many different ways. But let's just take one example. You look at what is happening now, you know, in the towards the very end of the book, I write about the burkini ban. And of course, when that was happening, it was really around this clash of civilizations happening between the East and the West where the Middle East is facing this pushback in Europe regarding people being upset about face coverings and burkas and burkinis on their beaches. And now you see how that's turned into something, a clash that's taking place in Iran. So, you know, the uh, Iranian women who are so much in the news right now, it's really, you know, clothing is... I think a lot of times people think about clothing as fashion, but it's more than that. It is representative of how we present ourselves to the world, what we think about ourselves. You know, it it touches on so many aspects of our lives. And right now, clothing in Iran and other places is an indication of how we feel about women, how we feel about politics, how we feel about the status quo. You know, for many decades, clothing has been used to police women. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there's every few years there's an issue around what women can wear in our various legislatures. Uh, you know, there's always some issue around whether you know women are permitted to wear this. You're either you know too disrobed or too clothed or <laughs> vice versa. There's there's some it, it comes up in lots of different ways that people wouldn't think. Yeah, yeah. I heard something. Well, I guess it's not really related. Well, it's kind of related to women's appearances in that um, the granddaughter of of one lady who in elementary school was forced to cut her hair to kind of diminish her ethnicity, you know, that's in the news today. So I mean, that kind of all ties in very much so. Very much so. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes. And you know, it is how we appear is often used to, it signifies who we are to other people and can be used to diminish who we are. So you look at the whole thing that happened over the last few years with masks, it's a piece of cloth, but it's mm-hmm. very political now. It, it, that has shifted so much. So at the beginning, you know, in certain places, it was used to indicate that you respected others and then vice versa, it used to indicate that you were not, you know, falling in line with some people who didn't want to wear masks. And so it has shifted even, you know, in I went to get on the train the other day and the 
uh, there were not many people wearing masks mm -hmm. and the guy across from me was wearing a mask and I happened to not be, and I am not an anti-masker. <laughs> and I looked at him and he looked so uncomfortable with me. And I said, you know what? I have a mask in my pocket. I said to him, I have one. Would it make you more comfortable? And he looked so relieved. I was very shocked. Wow. It, it, you know, it's, it's really changed. So pieces of cloth that people think about as fashion is, you know, says a lot to other people. It's the first thing that they see about you before you speak. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that story about the mask. Um, because, you know, I've been lax, you know, I've been vaccinated a number of times. And, you know, most of the people that I hang around with have been as well. And right. you know, so we've gotten kind of lax, but it's still an issue. And it will continue to be an issue because, you know, it changes as people are at different stages, you know, what they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And I think there are still people yelling at people to take off their masks when, you know, they why are we policing what people do? So, right. <laughs> you know, if, if you want to wear a mask, you should be able to. Exactly. I want to get into like maybe a specific example from your book. Uh, like how does something, because this chapter on, on cotton, I found really intriguing. How does right. something seemingly innocent as like, you know, like just buying a $5 or $10 t-shirt, how, what kind of impact does that have on society? Well, the $10 t-shirt comes from someplace, uh, you know, it is made of a physical product, uh, whether that's cotton or synthetic or rayon, that has a entire series of industries behind it, you know, not just the farmers, the manufacturers, the whole delivery system, the process, it, you know, so by the time the $10 t-shirt has reached you, you have touched on everything from the Amazon worker and how much they're being paid to get it to you, the department store, the, you know, the whole life cycle of the item. But at the very, you know, what that chapter is about is really about famine. So what has taken place in various countries in terms of the farming and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I don't touch on in the book in terms of various federal governments propping up other federal governments. Where does that money go? You know, so there is a situation right now in the U.S. regarding farms and their subsidies. So it's much more than just that one item. And mm -hmm. that's true with, obviously, in my book, I only talk about clothing, but that's true with everything. How do the strawberries get to your table? Mm -hmm. What has happened in the industry that got you that strawberry and so forth? And obviously, the water issues around farming and famine and how the land is used. So it, there are many layers before that one item gets to your doorstep. Yeah, yeah. And, and things that I never would have even considered, which that's what your whole book does. It's kind of, it has some shock value to it. <laughs> well, I want people to think about what happened to that item. I just think it's it's quite challenging to feel so responsible to carry the weight of your shoulder of, you know, all the things that happened before you got that $10 t-shirt right, right. To, to think about where it came from. You, you can't possibly, I think there is a lot of conversation around sustainable sourcing and responsible sourcing. And now there's even a politics around getting away from that. But the truth of the matter is as the consumer, it's very difficult for you to track it to that origin. You can't possibly find out if, and this is the truth, and I know a lot of people don't like when I say this, but it is the truth. You cannot find out all the steps that happened to that item before you got it. It's mm. impossible. You could try, but first of all, the average consumer is not going to sit there and try to do that, and it would be impossible. You'd spend all day trying to track it all the way to that 
first person who touched it, it's it's not possible. There are too many tentacles. But I do think it's an interesting conversation to have to think about how we got our things and to try to make more responsible choices and think about our impact on the planet. Ultimately, I think it's realizing that you know, there's that old cliche saying no man is an island mm-hmm. to feel that we are responsible for more than just ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there are so many topics in your book that we can't possibly cover, even though your book is only 120 pages. I'm so impressed in how you packed so much information into this it must be your newspaper experience. <laughs> there was some um, criticism of that. Some people didn't like that there were so many topics that seemed to sort of laid over the surface and then kind of keep going. Oh, no, I, I thought it was just the right amount because it, it wasn't information overload. And then, you know, for people that wanted to dive deeper, you have plenty of, you know, uh, other citations. Other and books. Yeah, absolutely. But I think what I like most about your book is that you shared all of this knowledge through relatable stories rather than just the regurgitation of facts. And I laughed out loud at some of those stories, um, huh. particular uh, like the bankers' wives. And <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, my yes. goodness. Oh, that was hilarious. Oh, yes. I mean, very creative. <laughs> but I was wondering if you had a favorite story that you kind of uncovered while writing this book that you could share with us real quick. Well, I didn't really get to include it. There was originally supposed to be another chapter at the very end. And I think, right. So one of the things that I think readers don't realize when they pick up a book is that when a publishing house chooses you and an editor chooses you, you really have to make sure you're synergistic with the person who's going to edit your book. Mm -hmm. And you have to make sure that you and that house want the exact same thing. And I think one of the things that Roman and Littlefield really wanted, which I understood, is they wanted to make sure the book ended on a positive note. They wanted to make sure that it was more, and I, if you ever meet me in person, sometimes people say, do you have any hope at all? (laughs) Because I have a lot of things to say about (laughs) driverless cars and artificial intelligence and surveillance that aren't that positive, really. And But the last chapter that I was going to write that did not make the cut was actually about Trump winning the election Mm. and about where, and I knew that was coming before it came, and I'm not the only one, and about where that was going and where the state of politics is going right now. And I do think things are going to get worse before they get better, if they get better. And they didn't want me to include that. So I think the most interesting thing was, and obviously this is when I was writing the books, actually 2016 before the election. So I was writing about all the things that are in fact happening now. And I that ultimately is something I, maybe I'll do a TED talk about it or, you know, another piece about it. But I had some things to say that people were not crazy about and they felt were a little, they were out there. <laughs> well, I, I would like to read that chapter. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think yeah. that some of them, some of the things step on topics that people are quite sensitive about. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. which I'm okay with. But obviously, they're a lightning rod for debate and anger and controversy. Right. Well, yeah. And when you're publishing a book, you want to appeal to as many people as, as you can. Yeah, I don't think Roman Littlefield was afraid of upsetting people as much as they were concerned that they wanted to leave people with hope. Yeah. And, and I think that makes sense. At the end of a book, you want to feel as though you learn something, but also you have 
something that you can do next. So you don't feel hopeless about what's coming. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned earlier that Disrobe has been out for a while. It came out in 2017. So have there been any significant changes to the world as it relates to clothing since then? Oh, many. So (laughs) many. I mean, I wouldn't say it's necessarily around clothing. There are changes to clothing, but I think a lot of the topics that I start to touch on in the book have gone, if it's a spectrum, have gone now to further steps. So, for example, you look at, I talk about artificial intelligence and driverless cars, and you really see with the chatbots that are coming out now, and that that whole world has evolved into something that people are really talking about and its potential impacts on teaching, on science, on what is truth, on journalism. But I think that, so here's an example. I talk a little bit in the chapter about that kind of technology and the target example of the the teenager being outed to her family being pregnant. And after the book came out, there was an incident where Palantir, the technology company used that technology to survey and round up immigrants. Mm. And so a lot of those things, I talk about the burqas and that had turned into a the whole mask controversy and is now evolved into something much further beyond that. So all of those topics have become bigger or uh, have evolved into full-blown situations. Right. <laughs> Early in the day, when I was writing the book, people were talking about the cyclical economy, the circular economy. And I think that is a much bigger industry than it was in 2016. And the life cycle of a t-shirt now has a whole trajectory that it didn't used to. It will now make it into some stall in India and then get sold back to you here in the US. And there's those industries have really evolved into something bigger. Yeah. I, I think about um, Amazon influencers too and and yes. their involvement in the clothing industry now. It's like it'll be interesting to see how long that's sustainable because of course every industry so I saw something in the news today that the you know, CDs are now forty years old. Oh my <laughs> so, gosh. <laughs> I know. I know. It's Everything that you thought was just yesterday is now vintage. Um, so I, it'll it'll be interesting to see. I think um, you know Instagram, for example, is now trying to charge people for the verification, mm. <laughs> and so it will be interesting to see which companies exist five, ten years from now, and what that evolution looks like. Yeah, and it's it won't be this one. It won't be these influencer programs. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing our reviewer mentioned was that she would be interested in knowing what you have to think about other issues like the plus size movement or, you know, how certain items of clothing are are labeled as either masculine or feminine. And, you know, wearing the wrong genders clothing can be licensed for others to abuse and ridicule us. Do you have any opinions on those issues? Well, let's take each one, right? The, uh, <laughs> the, gender, the gender issue is very interesting because right now you see these legislations around drag queens. And I'm a little fascinated by that because if you really look at history, drag queens and drag has been around forever. Yes. It was, you know, in the back in war times, men used to dress up in drag to entertain each other in theater. 
drag has existed in movies like Tootsie, Mrs. Doubtfire. It's not new. Um, Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> Shakespeare, you know, men used to, their women weren't allowed to be actors, so men used to dress up as women. And now it's being used to be this political statement. But really, the legislation is around other things. You see the states that are trying to ban drag shows, want to also ban talk about women's periods. They want to change what we can teach in schools. There are other tentacles that really have nothing to do with clothing. So you see this bifurcation now that's quite extreme with some people going one direction and the other people going very, you know, really the other direction. There was a a protest where some neo-Nazis came out to a, I guess there was a library or a public park that hosted a drag story hour for kids. And the neo-Nazis were chanting some very violent things and they started to follow families home. (sighs) They followed families and kids home and they had guns. So you see this very extreme situation now where gender and gendered clothing is not really about clothing. It's really a byword for other behaviors and other feelings and potentially other legislation that's coming down. Mm -hmm. A lot of control issues. A lot of control issues, a lot of wanting people to conform to societal models that have been outdated for a long time. And it's not really about, if you look at the history of drag, it isn't really about that. It's not really about whether men can wear women's clothing. Right. And, you know, the plus size issue is a whole other ball of wax because I think even though women have fought long and hard for clothing to be inclusive, the fashion industry really hasn't paid attention to it. There are very few brands that have really said, look, we really mean it when we're inclusive. We're really going to go up to 4X, 5X. They really don't. They Mm. just don't. They, you know, sizes are still something like zero to maybe 10 or 12 if you're lucky Mm -hmm. i am not as it happens i'm not a large person and i'm a large and a lot of brands that says a lot to me it's so crazy yeah it's so the industry has not evolved the way it should be and i think that there are also tangential issues around that because it discriminates quite frankly Mm -hmm. against women of color So, you know, traditionally, women of color are discriminated and left out of the fashion industry. And when you don't have inclusive clothing, it also discriminates against people who are differently abled. Mm -hmm. And there was a brand that I recently saw that came out of the UK that makes clothing for people who are shorter, who are, I think, around four feet in stature or shorter. And obviously, that is, I was surprised to see that there has not been a greater embrace of people who are say in wheelchairs or you know who need clothing for various disabilities or there's just not that much out there wow there are just so many different angles to consider like what does this person confined to a wheelchair need what is you know and there are a lot of people who would purchase that clothing so i went on to that website and everything was sold out wow (laughs) For obvious reasons, because there's demand for it. And the prices were not, they weren't Target or Walmart prices either. And so if the clothing industry were just a little bit more open-minded, they would find a lot more consumers. Mm -hmm. Writing this book, Disrobed, and the full title, I don't think I mentioned earlier, but 
Disrobed, How Clothing Predicts Economic Cycles, Saves Lives, and Determines the Future. What do you hope readers take away from reading your book? What is the most important issue to you? I think the most important issue is to realize that, and this is maybe greater than the <laughs> than the remit of the book or the attempt of the book, but we have this thing happening in society now where you've got some segments of the population very concerned about what happens to others. And you've got some segments of the population that just don't care. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the greatest cons in the U.S. is this idea that if you pick yourselves up by your bootstraps, you know, the American dream, you don't need anybody else, you could do it yourself. And I don't think that that's true. I think that when we are born, we are helpless. And frequently when we pass away, we are helpless at the beginning and the end of our lives. Mm -hmm. And even though the book is ostensibly about clothing, originally when I went out with the book to publishers, it was actually a much broader book. I wanted to tackle all of these issues and how they were interconnected to each other. And I was basically told I'd bitten off more than I could chew. And I think that's correct. I think it was too much of a book. But I would like people to realize that what they do affects others. And that's both positive and negative. They can affect others so they can affect change and not feel as though they're so helpless that what they their vote does make a difference. You can make a difference in other people's lives. It doesn't have to be millions. You can make a difference in two people's lives. And that counts for something. Mm -hmm. So I want people to realize that we are not, no man is an island. Absolutely. I want them to go out and, and do more. Well, it sounds like you have a lot more to say. Will there be another book in your future? I'm not sure. As Dorothy <laughs> Parker said, I like having written versus writing. <laughs> I'm actually working on something very different. I'm working on a TED Talk about medicine and aging, similar to what I've done with Disrobed, but I'm tackling a topic that other people haven't really tackled in the way that I want to tackle it. I think we spend slightly too much time fighting aging. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And it happens no matter what. <laughs> yeah. I, so I'm, it's, I'm working on a TED Talk about medicine. Oh, okay. Well, that'll be interesting. You'll have to keep me posted on that. Yeah. Well, I'll let you know. It's not there yet. I want to be responsible and attach my unique way of connecting different threads, but not confusing people. Yeah. Well, uh, Syl, did you have anything else you wanted to add today? No. Thank you so much for interviewing me. And thank you so much for shining a light on, on the book and keeping interest going. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure having you here. And, and I really enjoyed listening to your book. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you so much, Sherry. Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Sil Tang, author of Disrobed. You can learn more about Sil and connect with her at linktree-hipguide. And be sure and check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com. <laughs>